If I wasn't interviewing enemies of the state like Tommy Robinson, what's up, Tommy? How you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good, thank you. <laughs> well, so for for my American audience, I'm sure some of them are unfamiliar with you. Uh, but go ahead and and tell them tell them who you are, Tommy. I am. Well, I'm now I'm a journalist, but I started my activism in 2009. So people understand I'm from a town called Luton Town. It's 30 miles north of London. And when I was born in 1982, there was one mosque. There's now 45. So I've watched the change in that town. I've seen the negative impact that certain communities have had with open border immigration. We have we were the launch pad for the fertilizer bomb plot, the 7-7 bombings in London. Uh, we, Luton was named by the CIA as the, the epicenter of terrorist activity for Europe. So I've watched rad, radical groups, Al-Majradeen, um, who are now a prescribed terrorist organization, their head office was in my town. So I grew up very quickly understanding the problems. And I say the problems because Luton is one of the most multicultural and diverse towns in Europe. It's everyone's sons of immigrants. But per se, they all get, get along pretty well. But there was one section of the town, which is the Islamic community, who totally refused to assimilate or integrate at all. So we didn't do that. That's that's, And I never understood it until I got into learning about Islam. And any journalist who's ever met me over the years when they come to Luton, I explained to them, I said, go out in the town and find me a group of Muslims that are with a non-Muslim. You will not find it. You'll find whites with blacks. You'll find everyone else integrated. But this section just separate themselves. But in 2009, there was a soldier's homecoming parade through Luton. And the soldiers come under attack by groups of radical Muslims. They were called butchers of Basra, baby killers. They spat in the soldiers' faces, spat in their mum's faces. And that was the final straw for me. Um, I'd watched so many problems growing up. And when we saw that in our town, every time my hometown is named, it's named to do with terrorism. But that's, so we felt at that time it was something we had to stand up to. So I, I set up an organisation called the United People of Luton, which then spawned into the English Defence League. And we went nationwide. We went nationwide as a group of men, a group of, well, group of men and women, going into towns and cities where issues were being covered up and not spoken about. Any problems around open border immigration or problems that come with the Islamic community, no one was allowed to talk about. They'd been beaten down in silence for about 20 years through the tag of racist. They'd managed to keep everyone self-censoring, everyone whispering, everyone scared. Um, and then along come the English Defence League and just broke, broke that. We, we were screaming in the streets. And our main, one of the main issues we brought to the forefront was the, what, what, what many people now know is called grooming, which is actually rape jihad. It's actually where groups of Muslim men kidnap and take, and, and they say grooming because they, at first they give them money, they give them treats, they give them gifts. This is 11, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls. They get them, they groom them so they think they're friends, and then they gang rape them. 
and then they're, they're, they're passed around, sold around the whole country. And when we started talking, and I know about this because this happened to one of my cousins in Luton when we were growing up, when she, when she was 14. She then become hooked on heroin. So when the family are ringing the police when she's been kidnapped, the family ring the police and the police just, she's a drug addict. And they were viewed by the police as child prostitutes rather than victims who were being prostituted. That's how they were viewed. Now, when we started the English Defence League, we started screaming about this in towns and cities across the country. And when you have to look up, it, it spread like a phenomenal, phenomenal. It went nationwide. We had divisions in every town and city like that. And it was all of a sudden I realised it wasn't for anything in particular we were doing. It was that everyone had been silenced. Everyone, I, I didn't realise that the issues that I'd seen growing up were in every town and city that has got an Islamic community. So when I started speaking about it, People just come from everywhere. And it was like we just opened up the box and it just come out. And, and, and we traveled the country highlighting these issues. But we were called fear mongers. They said we were, we were pushing hate. because and, and, they, and they basically denied it. I remember sitting on Jeremy Paxman, one of the BBC's best, invest, uh, best journalists. And he grilled me and mocked me when I tried telling him that they're taking our daughters from schools. They're literally coming up. Men are picking the girls up and taking them and prostituting them. And the police won't do anything. But then in 2015, after four years of our activism, um, there was a government report on a city called Rotherham. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a government report and there was 1,400 victims, all children, and they were all victims of Pakistani Muslim gangs. And some of the crimes that were committed against them, when you go into the details, but the big point from the report was that the police knew. So from 19, 1997 to 2013, there were 1,400 girls, just in that bracket, yeah? And... There's only a 3.7% Muslim population in that town. But when the government report came out, we, we found out that the police, the council, social services, everyone knew it was happening. But the reason they get the reason that was on the system and in all the notes as to why the police didn't do anything, because they didn't want to be deemed as racist. They allowed a generation of girls to be raped, prostitute, pimped, and some murdered. And that's just Rotherham. And when I say that, I know people will think this is unbelievable, right? But the stuff I'm going to tell you you would think is unbelievable. Two fathers got together in Rotherham. This is all in the government. It's called the Alexis J report. It's all in the report. Two fathers got together. They went to the house where these Muslim men had had their two 13-year-old daughters raping them. The police turned up and arrested the dads. They arrested the dads. They left the girls in the house. Some of the other, they, another case, they got a hot iron rod and they heated it up with the letter M. They heated up the letter M and they scolded the 12-year-old girl's bum because she was the property of Mohammed. Another girl, they, na they nailed her tongue to the table. Now, and I can go, so basically I, I've become known. We were the people who brought this to the forefront. Not just me, but I had a movement behind me. We were deemed, we were attacked, we were slandered. Some of us were imprisoned, I was imprisoned. And it was all to bring this issue to the forefront, which now is, now is widely accepted in 65 cities. They've now smashed these gangs. But up until 2009, when we started, they didn't do anything. They were letting it happen. Even now, they're only making little gestures, and I'll, ex I'll explain why. I I'll go on a rant now. This is what I do. But I've, um, I've gone from I've I I done street protests up until 2015, and then come 2015, I decided to turn my hand to journalism. I wanted everyone to see what I've seen. I wanted them to understand what I understand. And one of the main points, when you read about grooming or you read about rape, it doesn't do the crime or what that victim's gone through any justice just reading the words. So I decided to do an investigative journalist um, series, set a series, where we actually called The Rape of Britain. We're on episode five now, where I spent 12 to 18 months with the girls who had been raped. I got to know them. I heard their stories. 
and like, we investigated it like a police style investigation. We found 254 culprits, uh, perpetrators in one town. So we, we concentrated on Telford. Now, this again, this is for an American audience to understand how vast this problem is. Yeah? And, and the reason why this is so important, you understand it. Your borders have been open since Biden took over. The four million have come in. We're not talking about Mexican immigration anymore. Yeah? You're talking about Pakistani, Afghani, Iraqi, Somali, Syrian. They're coming. Yeah? And there is a big, big difference, a huge difference. And I say that as someone's from a town full of migrants. The rest of them are pretty sound. Yeah? They work. They're family orientated. They're very culturally the same as us. This community, there's something very different. Now, in Telford, Telford has a 1.7% Muslim population, which is why I focused on it. There's not many Muslims there. Um, in our investigation, we found 254 that were involved in, in the rape. The police investigation identified 200. An independent inquiry identified 364. In that town alone, there's 1,000 victims and five are dead. Just in that town. And the police and... There's only three and a half thousand Muslims in that town. Take away the women, take away the under 16s, you've got a thousand men. 20 to 36% of the men in that town were prostituting, raping and abusing young English girls. That is how vast and big the problem is. Out of the 200 men that the police identified, they're charged 11, 11. So we're, I've made it my my focus of my, of my of my work has been to go after the other men. When, when, they, when, when they're named by three or more, girls that don't know each other they become a star in our in our films we go and question them we challenge them we find where they work we find where they live we go and approach them and ask them about trafficking young children and how they've got away with it we also find corrupt police officers it's a, it's a very exciting traumatic um upsetting real life documentary series but yeah that's where i'm at now so i do journalism now and um, that's a brief a brief story we can go off on all different tangents from it yeah but yeah, I mean, I know you've got a lot, lot more, uh, you know, controversy and, and great work that you've been doing, but it's uh, that's a that's a wild story, man. And and you know, I, I just for so you understand, kind of my audience's background, most of them are, are libertarian leaning, and and you know, we're pretty divided on on how we feel about borders generally. But I think that from my vantage point, I have always been, uh, you know. I'm not a huge nationalist, but when it comes to globalism versus nationalism, well, then I'm a nationalist. Uh, I think that globalism is by far the most dangerous phenomenon. And, and because of that, you know, we, I, I definitely push back against the, the open borders policy of the Biden administration. I think it's extraordinarily dangerous, especially to do so, so rapidly. And especially when it's against the, the domestic population's interests and, and also their demands. And I think that's, that's what's so disturbing to me is that these local governments, which are allegedly supposed to represent the people that actually live there, they no longer seem to. And, and my, my thesis has been that this is part of a globalist plan that ultimately the, the migrants that come in, they will almost certainly vote for the politicians that allowed for this sort of policy making so that then it'll become uh, more, more and more problematic. And then ultimately we will end up in some sort of global conflict and then you'll have kind of a one world government. Are, are you of the, uh, do you go the conspiracy route with this and, and think that there is, uh, you know, supranational organizations that are, are wanting to see this happen? Or do you think it's just people being afraid of being called racist? 
No, no. So and so, so, so people understand my views as well. When we start, when I started the English Defence League, I never spoke out against immigration because my mum was an immigrant. Most of the people I love are immigrants or sons of immigrants. Yeah. So controlled immigration can benefit a nation. Yeah. Right. But that's not what we're seeing. And I've always spoke out against Islamic immigration. And so people understand again. Some of the best people I've met growing up in my hometown are Muslim. Some of the people I love are Muslim. Okay. That does not change the problems that come from Islam and they have to be spoke about when we see so much extremism, terrorism, so many, again, female genital mutilation, 55,000 British girls have had their genitals mutilated. Yeah. That's been a crime since the eighties with a 14 year prison sentence, but no parents have been prosecuted. None. They're allowed to mutilate their children. Okay. There's so many practices that have been brought into our nation. The same with the grooming. They they actually, what one town you could call a police failure, one town, if this happened in one town, it's 65 cities. Yeah. It was a conspiracy by the government, religious leaders, political leaders, police leaders. They conspired to suppress and silence this. And anyone who spoke out, like me at the first, was received the full full arm of the British establishment. Right. So um, I believe, truthfully, now, and I, th- I don't think it is a conspiracy, our, our borders are down for a reason. It's not a mistake. None of this is a mistake. From Europe to America, I believe it's to weaken the population, to weaken the resistance. They want a lot. They want people reliant on the state. Yeah, they've done it in America to the black community. They've beat them down. They've broke the families. Get rid of the fathers. They, they, the Democrat Party want them reliant. Unfortunately for the Democrat Party, some of the black community started aspiring to not be reliant on the state and saw that they could succeed, which is why they then bring in the whole cultural Marxism, which is what they're pushing. But they literally are replacing us. Yeah. yeah, and we and, and and I'll give you an example again, so your people understand. Luton, this went in 2011. This was when so we started the English Defence League, and in 2011, I looked at the demographic growth forecast for the town. The Pakistani and Bangladeshi community were going to increase by 70 to 77 percent within 10 years. Yeah, the white and black community 1.2 to 1.3 percent. At that time, there were 19 mosques. The local Labour Party, the Democrat Party simply do not care about us anymore as the as the English working class because they sit down with the leader of the local council of mosques. They do a deal and it guarantees them 60, 70,000 votes and they're in power just off those votes. So the way is the Islamic community organise themselves in a military fashion, you become irrelevant and then the politicians bend to what the Islamic community want, which we all know the mindset, again, um, the majority of British Muslims, this has come from how British Muslims think from a man called Trevor Phillips, um, who, who, who's when I'll be busy presenter? He done a documentary. How British Muslims think the majority want homosexuality to be outlawed. Right. They don't disagree with it. They want it outlawed. Fifty percent of British Muslims said they would not report on another Muslim if they knew they were going to join ISIS. Seventy-five percent said they would not report if they knew someone was getting involved in extremism. Now, when you hear those figures and then you see how it correlates, four times more British Muslims went to join ISIS than have ever signed up for the British military. We have a massive problem, which is not. And America and all these countries can look to the UK. Yeah, you can look at Europe, look at France, and you should be learning. I remember I first come to America in 2010 to give a speech. I actually received 10 months, 10 months in jail for unlawfully entering America the next year. But I come to give a speech and I called it a warning to America. And the reason being that I wish someone come and explain to my town and my country, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's not in a hateful way. Now, what that is saying that these these cultures and these ideas and these Islamic principles are alien to us. The views on women, the views on free speech, the views on all of these things. 
they, they hold dearly. Look at any Pew research for how they think in Afghanistan. If you've got a thousand men who think a certain way in Afghanistan and they've just crossed your border into America, they haven't changed their minds. They've <laughs> right. not changed their views. They're now from they've now got those views in the United States. Today's episode with Tommy Robinson is brought to you by Phoenix Ammunition. Phoenix Ammunition is the premier supplier to the militia industrial complex with 100% of their sales going directly to American citizens. No military contracts, no law enforcement deals, simply the highest quality American-made ammunition served directly to the people the Second Amendment was written for. Phoenix Ammo uses the highest quality components, parts, and the most advanced quality control system in the country to deliver exactly what you expect while at the range or when your life is on the line and performance matters above all all else head to phoenixammo.com subscribe to their propaganda newsletter and follow them on twitter at phoenix ammunition for the latest in product updates high quality trolling small l libertarian commentary and world-class meme warfare save up to 25 percent off all day every day with their automatic volume based discount come for the ammo stay for the memes phoenixammo.com and your politicians will pander to them and the amount of money anyway that's being orchestrated through Iran, through Qatar, through, through Saudi Arabia to push this Islamization, the amount of groups even in the Muslim Brotherhood have infiltrated the United States and, and the, amount of, the amount of them care or whatever organizations what you want to pick that are pushing this and, and they want a caliphate idea. But I just, um, but yeah, that's where my works took me up. I'm obviously, I've been seen as a controversial figure. Because if you tell the truth, you're a controversial figure. Well, yeah, I, I've been I've been uh, written up by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Don't don't feel bad. Uh, <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen how bad they are as well. It's yeah, insane. any any anybody it that speaks matters. and anybody that speaks any truth uh, will ultimately be labeled a, a hate speech uh, propagandist or whatever. It's it's nonsensical because uh, I'm I'm literally just seeking truth, and that's that's I'm all there is to it. Most of my views are liberal. So when they go about my views, I said, no, my, the reason I have an opposition to Islam is because of my liberal views. Yeah? <laughs> right. I'm opposing far right. What are you talking about? There's nothing <laughs> to far right in my views. Yeah, no, I, I get it, man. Um, well, so this this is the other part that that concerns me. I mean, well, first off, there's there's an obvious uh, hilarity that comes with the fact that the people that are responsible for these policies that allow for the Islamic world to immigrate into both, uh, you know, Britain as well as America, they they are the types that are extraordinarily progressive, and they're they're the most concerned about being called racist. Uh, but they're they're encouraging this population of people that could not be more counter to their own belief set. You know, like the the Islamic world, as you've as you've already detailed, many of their beliefs run completely 180 degrees from from that of those that want these open border policies. So it does seem as if the, the domestic voting population, particularly the liberals, are the ones that are being pushed out, but they're doing so gleefully. It, has there been an awakening amongst the liberals in your country? Because it has not happened in America at all. I think in the last four weeks, there's been an awakening um, mm. since the Hamas conflict and since the level of vitriol and hate that they're seeing on the streets and the numbers they're seeing on the streets in the UK, in every town and city, and the venom the venom and the openness in their hate and they're calling for the destruction of Israel or, or the massacre of Jews or the gassing of Jews, whichever it may be. And the flying of Hamas flags the flying of ISIS flags, they don't care. So I think a lot of people, a lot, a lot of the left, a lot of the liberals are, are, have sat and had a bit of a wake up call. There's obviously the alignment of the Islamists 
the far left and the far right, who all join on this one issue. Over the last four weeks, they've joined them on this one issue. But a lot of people have been shocked. I find, and I know by my activism, when I started in 2009, I was trying to talk about Islam yeah, and trying to highlight, that, say like we got, I've done speeches and I've, I've dissected it. When we're talking about the rape that we've gone, these gangs, yeah, 5% of the UK is Muslim. So 2.5% of the UK population is male Muslim. 90% of the convictions for groups of men who rape young children together and groom them, 90% of those convictions are Muslim men. 30% are called Muhammad. 30% of their names are Muhammad. Why? Why? Why aren't the Jews doing it? Why aren't the Sikhs doing it? Why aren't the Hindus doing it? In fact, the Hindus and the Sikhs are all victims of these gangs as well. But why are they not raping in the same manner? We, we, if you want to solve it, you've got to answer that problem. Now, when you, when I went through and I gave a speech, it was actually in Russia because I was so deplatformed. How, what a mad state of affairs as a British citizen. I had to go to Russia to have a platform to talk about these issues because I was censored on every social media. If I try and hire a venue in the UK, it would get shut down. Right. So um, but I went well, to Russia. Hey, you're yeah. just like Edward Snowden. Having <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to run there for free speech. But I, um, I went there and I gave a speech called, called again, I named a documentary series after it, but called The Rape of Britain, where I went through all the cases in the different towns and cities. And I took what the girls had said and what the men had said. For example, one of the rapists in Bristol said it was his religious duty to do what he done. He stood in court and said that. Yeah. Another one said about the age for sex, because in the Islamic mindset, as soon as a girl starts her period, she becomes a woman. They don't see it as paedophilia. They don't see it as wrong. But I went through and there's four verses in the Quran that explicitly tell them outside their four wives, they can take non-Muslim women as sexual slaves. One of the verses actually says they are blameless, yeah? which is why Boko Haram are kidnapping the women in Nigeria. It's why the Yazidi girls got taken and raped in the way they did. It's why what we're witnessing now with the, the lady, the, the females and the children and the women in, in, in Israel, why they were taken and they've been raped as sexual slaves. Muhammad did that. Yeah. So people, you're not even allowed to have the conversation. It's like, no, Muhammad done this and it's acceptable. It's halal. They're allowed to do this, which is why we're seeing these numbers. But trying to have that conversation, you're not allowed to have it. And I've been trying to have that conversation for 15 years of my activism. But I have, I know, and I've noticed that in 2009, we set up the English Defence League. England was ready at that time. But we went into Europe and we tried to set up the European Defence League. Most of the other countries weren't ready. Um, now, if you look at Gert Wilders has just been elected, you know, the, the Dutch politician? Yeah. So Gert Wilders just won 37 seats. Gert Wilders, when I started, was a fringe little outside movement. And they tried doing him on hate speech and they took him through the courts. He's now going to be, he's now Prime Minister of Holland. He actually says, we will de-Islamize. We will ban the Quran. He wants to ban the Quran. And the reason he gives to ban the Quran, or if you look at the Quran, 7% of Mein Kampf, Hitler's book, is Jew hatred. 7%. 9% of the Quran. Yeah, 9%. So 12% of the Hadith. So if you set up a political party, which Islam is an ideology, if you set up a new political party and on your manifesto you had 9% Jew hatred, you would not be allowed to do it. Yeah? But yet we, yet this, this ideology is being pumped through the mosques, pumped through the madrasas. Our politicians are hugging it as they spread it across our nation. And there's a big problem. And if we've got 4 million people now in the UK who want to aspire to be like Muhammad, we've got a problem. Luckily, the majority of Muslims don't follow the word of it. Um, and, right. and many of them treat their religion like a buffet, which most people do. Many of them are cultural Muslims. They take the good bits and if it helps them in their life, brilliant. But they ignore the bad bits. And when we try and talk about the bad bits, which in, result in 
Again, I'll give you some more figures. 40,000 Muslims are on a terror watch list in the UK. 40,000. 3,000 of them, 3,000 of those are monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. That takes three teams of nine men, yeah, for each person. So each terror, each potential jihadist, there's 3,000 of them, 24 hours a day. Each potential jihadist is monitored by three groups of nine men. That costs nine billion pounds a year. And the figures go up 60% each year. Yeah? So we're not going in the right direction. If we look at it, we're, they're building an army, yeah, and we simply will not be able to handle it. So at the minute, the call for jihad's in Israel. But when it comes to Europe, and we've got now millions and millions and millions of people whose ideology is alien, they want to implement their way of life on ours. We've seen it in France, you've seen the riots, you've seen the riots all across Europe, we've seen it in Sweden. Sweden now bringing a law, in a blasphemy law. They're making it illegal to criticize and ban the Quran and burn the Quran. They're going backwards in their views of freedom to accommodate the threats of a hostile groups within their country. So, yeah, well, I mean, this this is what is so concerning is that because of this process, it's very natural that you're going to have very illiberal policies to deal with it, which is also quite counter to the world I want to live in, to the nation I want to live in. So it, it's a probably what they want. They want the chaos and then they can implement more laws. They're probably causing this. I, I, I completely agree. And that's actually where I'm going with this is that what, what disturbs me about it is that the, the vast majority of people are totally oblivious to the fact that it's been both MI6 as well as the CIA, as well as Mossad, that has been funding much of the most radical elements of Islam in the Islamic world. Then they've, then they've had a bunch of unconstitutional, undeclared wars to go and destroy their nations, forcing these migration uh, crises that then end up flooding both Europe as well as America. We're seeing another one today. Uh, with uh, you know Gaza, and I would imagine there will be a million or so Gazans that are are supposed to flee somewhere because they're not sure. going to be allowed to stay there, and it's going to end up being primarily Europe, but also the United States. And and I don't think people are are considering deeply enough what it what what that means both for us, you know, domestically wherever we live, but also just how how unbelievably stupid it is so that so much so that it, it seems as if it can't be accidental. I mean, if you're going to destroy these, these nations, which are, unfortunately the, the U S government has been responsible for the vast majority of this, but the, the British have played, played their role dutifully alongside us oftentimes. Uh, but it has destroyed these people's homeland. So then, yeah, I, I don't even blame them for wanting to migrate elsewhere. Cause it's like, if you have a drone flying over your head for uh, 15 years in Afghanistan, I'd want to get out of there too. Uh, but then they go to these other nations and then they want to, you know, reinstitute Sharia or whatever their, their preferred, uh, you know, governance model is. And it's totally counter to, to the, the domestic population. And it just like, is are people are people catching on to the fact that like much of the radicalization that's happened in the Islamic world, or I I, I assume some of your research has gone into this. Are are you privy to it? I'm privy to look those unjust wars and those illegal invasions of those countries. Even America taking out Gaddafi, they knew they had to take out Gaddafi to open the floodgates of Europe because it was Gaddafi that used to prevent them coming into Europe. Yeah, right. By taking out Gaddafi, they knew exactly what they were doing, and also because it sued us when the the Soviet were at war in Afghanistan. Because it's because it sued us for the, against the Russians, we actually gave home. We gave a base to all the radical jihadists in Britain. We allowed them. We funded ISIS. We fought, we we've created most of them. Yeah. When I say we, again, they have. We haven't. Yeah. The same with Hamas were created by Israel. The same. The same. But that I, I try and 
differentiate those governing and in control who fought, who who have made all these decisions with the people of the country. So yeah, of we're, course, yeah, we're totally against it. I'll say most Jewish people in Israel are totally against what their government have done at times. Same with the American public, same with the British public. But course, they yeah. have orchestrated these wars for benefit, for money. I believe the corporate they want corporations to control the world. Few corporations governed by them and. To, to water down and break us down. It's like all these little conspiracy theorists, the, the attack on the family, yeah, the promotion of LGBTQ+, all these little things used to be individual things. It's like since COVID happened, they all just come together. yeah. It's like a jigsaw and all the pieces just fitted in, thinking you are attacking us from every angle. Yeah. And your, 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 your purpose is to destroy and break down any resistance. So people, it's even like a look in, in, in our country, they've attacked our history. They've attacked our identity because someone who doesn't know their history or understand their history ain't going to fight for it. They're not going to fight for who they are or their or, or their identity in their country. So they've purposely broke that down. They've purposely feminized us. And but then the part is then you feminize the West and then you bring in lots of masculine Muslims who are dominating the towns and cities, controlling the towns and cities. When, but then they all align together, like you're seeing now with the far left aligning with the Islamists, like we saw in Lebanon, like we saw in Iran. When the Islamists take over, they're the first people to get beheaded, the first people to get killed. But they align because they, they want to break down the system. They want to break down the rule of law. They want to destroy everything. Um, but I think that a lot of people now are putting the jigsaw together and understanding we've been played like fools. Maybe I've played my part in their jigsaw and their game by awakening everyone to Islam and then seeing some of the scenes we've had. Maybe, because I, I, I say it with the LGBTQ plus <laughs> movement, the sexualization of children, we, it, Muslims will be our allies here. Yeah? With the COVID, the control, the vaccines, the Muslim community will stand up. True. But that still doesn't change what's right for Great Britain, what's right for the West, what's right for America, for our freedoms, for our liberties. Islam, it's like oil and water. So that's the thing I always, I, I, I've put my passion into, not just talking about, but exposing, because... I think that they made it fashionable. They made it fashionable and there's no one challenging it because everyone's scared to challenge it. People self-censor. Oh, and absolutely. Uh, as I yeah. said, I, I was deplatformed from every platform there is. I was, I've was i been put in jail multiple times for and, and proven that, that they're, what they've done was unlawful. I'm now facing, Clint, I'm facing two years in jail now, yeah? I made a film. It's a film called Silence, yeah? It was leaked seven months ago in the United States and I just received a letter to, about three weeks ago by the attorney general saying they're about to prosecute me. I'm just waiting on my court date. In this film, there was an, and this is the, this is the length they go to. In this film, basically there was a news story in the north of England and there was a Syrian refugee who got a bottle of water poured over him in a school playground. And the British, and then there was a donation appeal for the Syrian refugee. They said he'd been racially bullied by English bullies, yeah? English racist bullies. Straight away, I started getting contact by parents from the school. One saying he beat up her daughter, Another, all, all saying the little boy was aggressive and violent to the other children. And that's what this was over. Now, the public weren't told that. The public were told that, and, and the little Syrian boy had an, his arm in plaster. And the public were told, this story went viral worldwide. Yeah? The Syrian refugee was invited to parliament by our home secretary, Sajid Javid. He, it, this blew up. It was international news, American news, Chinese news, Australian news, British news. They said that he'd escaped war only to be, the victim of racism and it was all about pro-refugee i then made a video saying hold on a minute you're being lied to this isn't the full story they then started legal proceedings against me and they sued me and they, they, muslim, celebrity muslim lawyers 
sued me. Yeah, they said I had to pay fifty thousand pounds or and apologize. I refused to apologize because I said what I've said is true. Yeah? Then it comes to the court case and they put me through the high court. I went and wore a hidden camera. Uh, and this is what the, the documentary shows all of it. I went and wore a hidden camera and I went to the school teachers' houses. When I knocked at an Asian teacher come out and he, he said, Tommy, I took the money. I said, what do you mean you took the money? He said, I took the money. I said, who paid you money? He said, Kirkley's Council. So Kirkley's Council was the city where this happened. Now, at the time, this bottle of water story, Kirkley's Council had the biggest grooming Islamic rape gang scandal our country's ever seen at the time. Yeah, This was bad news. This victim story, there were protests held outside the school by a radical imam from 40, 40 miles away who brought loads of Muslim men outside the school over the Syrian refugee being bullied. The Muslim imam who organised it all's brother was in charge of Kirkley's Council. So we look at it all in the film. So the, this one teacher receives £18,000 to sign an NDA preventing him from ever telling the truth. I then go to the head teacher's house. He says, Tommy, you're never going to get the truth out there. He said, I can't legally say anything. I said, have you been paid as well? He said, yeah. I said, that's hush money. So I put, I'll get seven teachers. Yeah. So I put in a freedom of information request to the council. They spent £274,000 buying the employee's silence. So whilst they bought the employee, they closed the school down. The head teacher, this went so big, this story. The head teacher says, Tommy, I worked there for 20 years. They, and when I say they, he said, this come from there. They come into the school. They made me sign a non-disclosure agreement, threatened me with my pension, escorted me off the school property. My non-disclosure, I'm not even allowed to talk to other, other teachers. I never got a goodbye. I've never worked a day since that. So I put all this together into a film and I get five pupils who were attacked violently. One girl spat in the face, one girl bit, bite marks on her face by the Syrian refugee. The head teacher, when, when, when the whole country was told he broke his arm in a racist attack, I go to the head teachers and he says, do you know how he broke his arm? And I did know anyway, I said, how did he break his arm? He said he was attacking a boy four years younger than him, a little boy, and someone pulled him off and he broke his arm. So, but the story is not, the story is not just that. The story is then when I went to the high court and I produced all this footage to the judge, I said, the whole thing's a lie. Yeah? This whole story's been a lie. And the lengths they've gone to, the judge gave me an injunction saying that if any of this footage is ever released, I'll get two years in jail. So on, I, on what grounds? On what grounds? On the grounds that he listened to the case, seven teachers on covert recording, all, all clarifying that Jamal beats up girl, all clarifying all right. these allegations. Then I've got the school records. Jamal gets caught with a knife and screwdriver in school. He stabs another pupil in school. We were told he was a golden pupil. He sat on TV as the as a golden pupil, yeah? Now, I don't blame Jamal. He was 15, 16 years old. He'd come from a war-torn country. He had a lot of issues. Of course. But the way this story was 360'd and used, totally turned and used to push an open border policy by our media and government. And then, and they must have known the truth because it, it wasn't hard for me to investigate the truth. But no, I was the only journalist in the UK who told the truth. Today's episode with Tommy Robinson is brought to you by Nado Shave Co. Enjoy your shave with N-A-D-E-A-U shaveco.com. Minimize ingrown hairs, razor burn, and irritation with their 100% recyclable, plastic-free razors. Christmas is just around the corner. You know dad or that brother of yours, or maybe even your sister if she's got a, a nice little mustache, needs to get the best 
single blade razor in the game, stainless steel, veteran owned, family operated, NadeauShaveCo.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN will get you 15% off. Get yourself the best in the game. NadeauShaveCo.com. Enjoy your shave. They bankrupt me for £1.6 million. They bankrupt wow. me. After bankrupting me, the judge's findings, it's all on the film, the judge's findings are that the, to, to get around the seven teachers and the five pupils who testified in court, he said sometimes people lie, sometimes they don't need a reason to lie, they just lie. So he found that the seven teachers, the five pupils all lied, and the Syrian refugee, whose school record is on the documentary, is all about lying. All he does is lie. He found that he was telling the truth. So because he'd ruled that he found that all these teachers who were covertly recorded are lying for no reason at all, he then said that I've, I've made my decision on this. So if you share any of these stories or any of this documentation or papers from the court system, then um, you'll get two years in jail. And the film was put out, leaked. I didn't put it out, so I will argue it in court. But I'm currently awaiting a two-year sentence my for a film. For a film. For a film that categorically proves their corruption. The reason that, that this film is important, I said it's far bigger than me. This shows, start to finish, the unholy alliance of media, the weaponization of the police and the judiciary, and how they will use it in any way possible to silence whistleblowers, to silence people and finish them, destroy them. They bankrupt me, they destroy. They actually, it, it, when you see what they've done, it's insane. They sent people, they hired someone, they hired, Again, if I explain this, it sounds unbelievable, yeah? The lawyers who were hired against me, the police come into my house two weeks before Christmas, and I, I recorded it, and they give me an Osman warning. In the UK, an Osman warning is when there's a threat, threat to your life and an imminent threat of intelligence that your, your life's in danger. They have to give you a warning. So they come in and give me the warning. They told me that Antifa are planning, they've bought firearms, and they're planning on assassinating me, yeah? and burning my house, yeah? So I'm sat there with my wife and my kids, and I say, okay, so I put the video of this online, which shows this. The first two comments, Mohammed Akunji, who's the lawyer, comments on it, and Mike Stutzbury, who's a journalist for The Independent. So they both comment, they're both fully aware that Antifa are trying to find where I live to kill, to kill my family. Four weeks later, they hire an Antifa extremist for one day to deliver the legal papers for this court case to my family's home. And they agree on camera. So they're on the documentary all agreeing it. This man comes to my family's home. He makes a video saying he's going to kill my children. Yeah, No arrest. Police didn't arrest him. The whole thing's a setup. The next day I was removed from YouTube. They, they, so the, ne the whole, what this shows is the, the lengths they will go to to control the narrative. And this narrative... It's to intimidate, to destroy yeah. and so on. But what, what become, I used to think this was just about me because um, I talk about Islam. But then I realized that with, with COVID, with the vaccines, with what we saw there, this is far bigger. This this is, they, they, they need to control the narrative. They don't care what the narrative is. They, anyone who gets in the way of that narrative, you're getting silenced, you're getting shut down, you're getting finished. Yep. And they have a plan that they're orchestrating. Unfortunately, me rising up the British public against it or highlighting them against it or exposing their lies in the media doesn't help them and and i so i and i've done another documentary i can go on and on i've done another one before that um which totally I've, I've done a few documentaries that have humiliated them so this one they really didn't want the world to see it they really do not want people to see this film because it there's no gray area 
Uh, it's called it's called silenced. It's called silence. Yeah, Even well, it's called silence. I and 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 so in 2017, and these are all attacks by the British state. So in 2017, I was outside a court case in Leeds and I was reporting. I don't know if you see this story. I was reporting outside a court case in Leeds. 30 Muslim men were on trial for raping young 100 young kids. So as they're walking into court, I was telling the public, this is what they're on charge for. This is what they've done. Yeah. Now, the way the British government get around the court cases now, they put report restrictions on this, and I was allowed to talk about it. The judge had me grabbed from outside court. They brought me into court. I was at work. They brought me into court and sentenced me to 13 months in jail within two hours. I went straight for, to jail. For, for reporting on a trial? I went, straight, I went straight to jail, 13 month sentence. I appealed it. There was a mass free Tommy movement. Uh, Paul Gossar, one of your congressmen, flew to the UK. Uh, Brownback, um, who Trump was Trump's um, diplomat to the UK, he put pressure on our government. Gert Wilders, who's now been elected, flew into the UK. There was 30,000 people marched on Parliament. 700,000 people signed a petition to have me freed. For the first week, they put reporting restrictions on the British media that they couldn't tell anyone I was in jail. But what it blew up fuck? in Australia, it blew up in Canada, it blew up in America. This is the control level they have. Now, after nine weeks, 10 weeks, I was on solitary confinement for 10 weeks. It got before a high court judge who, who see that everything they'd done was unlawful. I was released from jail. I was out of custody a year. But as soon as I was released from jail, I got told that Panorama, Panorama are the BBC's flagship investigative journalist piece. Yeah, The biggest, the best. They, they destroy you. They take you down there. They do a lot of covert recordings and a lot of exposés. And they've always been very well respected. I got told that Panorama were working on a documentary called Tommy Takedown. Their, their, their motive was to finish me off because... I had, I had a big following. I had 1.2 million people on Facebook. I'd go live to 30,000. I was watched by tens of millions. I was probably the most watched journalist at one point, I think, probably in the world for these issues, but certainly in Great Britain. I've then gone to jail and my profile has gone through the roof worldwide. Right. And at that, at that point, they've started working on a documentary. So I sent a girl undercover into Panorama. I sent a girl to wear a hidden camera. It's all on the documentary. I called my film Panodrama. I sent a girl undercover into them. I got the head of Panorama planning on making sexual allegations against me. Yeah? They were trying to turn me into what Harvey Weinstein. I got all of it on covert recordings. So all, wow. the things you, all the things you think are happening, I categorically proved, proved that. I had him sitting down saying to, a, saying to a girl, if you say this, this and this, we'll put it in the film. Do we have a deal? Then saying, she, she has a recording of, so I give her, we, we plan it together, me and the girl. So she gives him a recording of me shouting, and then she's shouting. And he goes, don't worry, we clip that bit. We'll clip that bit out, yeah? So they're changing the context. And he, go, and he actually says, we're, we're going to make this into a sexual thing against Tommy Robinson. Then, then, they're, then their producers, they then contact me. They've got their documentary ready. They contact me for an interview. I set a screen up on the wall behind me. And I sit down, and they're all sat there. And I say, would you ever tell anyone what to say about me in an interview, John? Would you do that? Would that be true journalism? He goes, no, of course I wouldn't. I said, press play. Press play. And then the covert recordings of him sit there, say this, say this, say this. I said, John, sexual. You, you, took, you were taking an innocent discussion and you were putting a sexual slant on it. Weren't you, John? No, I wasn't. Press play. And I literally, and their producers on the footage, their, ha their heads are in their hands. It, they didn't bring out their documentary on me but if you want to understand the level of control the media have that documentary i put i put it on a 50 meter screen outside the bbc's offices yeah 
And I sat down with Stephen Bird, was a Times newspaper. You know the Times newspaper, one of the best, biggest newspapers in the world. It's probably what Donald Trump reads in the morning. Yeah? Sure, sure. The Times, the Times newspaper, a journalist who uncovered who I was at the start of my activism, I kept in contact with him over the years. So before I put the documentary out, I contacted him. I said, I've got some mad stuff here. Yeah? I sat down, I showed him the recordings. He said, Jesus Christ, this is panorama. This is total fake TV. Yeah. I said, he said, do you realize how big this is? I said, well, I gather it's big. And he said, let me go, see, <laughs> let me go see my editor. He comes back. Tommy, I said, yeah, he goes, we're not allowed to run it. I said, what do you mean you're not allowed to run it? He said, we're not allowed to run it. I said, you're meant to be a journalist. What does that tell you? Yeah. So then I, I, I put the documentary out myself. It had 2 million views in 24 hours. Yeah. 2 million views. At that point, I was deleted from every single social media. Yeah. And what I was in jail a year before for, I received a letter within 48 hours again from the Attorney General putting me back in court. They sent me back to jail. They give me another 10 months. What I just got out of jail for the year before. So, and, and not one single British journalist, when that film came out, now John Sweeney, the head of Panorama, lost his job. They put him on gardening leave for nine months and then quietly got rid of him. Yeah? Not one single British media mentioned that film or mentioned what we exposed in it. It was the biggest expose there's ever been on the BBC. And it was just tsh, tsh, silence. That's Talk fucking, silence. that is fucking unbelievable. It's a, fab, <laughs> it's a fabulous film, bro. It's a fact they got caught with their pants down. There's a golden moments in it where they're all, in the end, I walk out of the room after showing all the covert recordings and they just sit in silence looking at each other. <laughs> yeah well i would imagine i mean what the fuck are they gonna say you had them you had them red-handed well all right so you got deplatformed from everywhere that i mean that implies that that there is i mean that sounds like it's only government is capable of manipulating at that level what I do you think you saw with russell brand recently do you know russell brand oh yeah of course so with and his russell same brand. same allegation type nonsense i, I think and he come out he come out because rumble they wrote to rumble so right. he got deplatformed from everywhere but because of because Rumble weren't accepting it, they showed everyone what the government done. So exactly what we know they done to Russell Brand, I know that when that film come out, that I, I, at the end of that film, obviously we have to pay BBC license fee. British taxpayers have to pay for the BBC. Yeah, yep. we have to pay every year. So at the end, I showed people how to cancel your subscription and how legally you can get around it. So I said, go out and cancel. Uh, one and a half million people cancelled that year their 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 their, their license fee. Love so the it. government would have been angry anyway, yeah? But they weren't just angry, they would have been humiliated. And when they've gone to do it again now, so they tried it with Panorama, and now the film silenced. I sit here, I've done my activism, I've sat in jail, 10 different prisons, over it. I sit here now knowing that a film that no one would have heard of, yeah? Because I was deplatformed and censored. When they lock me up, our world's gonna hear about it. They're gonna bring a, a magnifying glass on the, on the corruption of our judiciary. They're gonna highlight it more than I could ever dream of highlighting. When they locked me up for outside Leeds Crown Court um, for the grooming reporting, they brought more attention to the rape of our children, which is what I want to do as an activist and as, as a journalist, than I could have ever dreamed of. Yeah. Sure. So again, I can't believe they're that stupid. They're doing it again now. They're about to do it again. Yeah, like, so I, they're they're Streisand affecting it, it, it right into your wheelhouse. Which, but the I mean the the flip side of that is you have you personally have to pay a a huge price i mean this this constant legal battles these legal fees being thrown in jail being pepper sprayed i mean what what kind of toll has that taken on you at times so i'm now 13 14 years into activism at times i've been in some very dark places man i, I, I went into jail one person and come out another um 
it wasn't so so it's all this so when i was in jail on the 2017 for reporting outside the case i went to hmp hull which is a five percent muslim population i was fine they then transferred me to the most densely populated Muslim population there is in the country, HMP only, with a 35% Muslim population, where they then used that excuse to put me on solitary confinement. Now, when they put me on solitary confinement, so I, I didn't, I weren't allowed out myself, I weren't allowed to see anyone, I weren't allowed to do anything, um, just sitting in a room for, for 10 weeks, but it was what they done. So they knocked on my door one day, prison officers did, and they said, where's your wife? Uh, how do I know where my wife is? Yeah. Like the only time, so because the, they because they they had to lock down the whole jail to get me out of the cell for thirty minutes during the day, and they'd only do it during the day uh, between when it, when the whole jail was locked down for lunch. I was allowed out to walk around on my own, yeah, for thirty minutes. That was my exercise for thirty minutes. So I had couldn't speak to my wife, yeah, or my kids because they're at school. My wife worked at a school. They come in and said, "Where's your wife?" I said, "I don't know." And they said, "Well, there's intelligence. She's going to be attacked with acid." And I said, and then they just shut the door. And I'm oh like, my god. It was a weekend before I could ring her. And they've gone to my mum's house. They've done the same. They've gone to my mum's house and they've gone to my wife's house. And this is where Americans, we, we can only dream of having the Constitution. Yeah? You have free speech. You now have no idea. We live in a post-free speech era. It's gone. Yeah? It's a facade that in Europe. It's not there. It's never been there. We, it's just you try using it, you see what happens. Yeah? But also, they knocked at my wife's house. They knocked at my mum's house. And they give them a little bit of paper telling them what to do when they're attacked of acid. It's like, and so the mental effect, which is what part it all, all is to do with, I believe, is to break you. I believe they purposely done it. I spent 22 weeks another time on solitary confinement. I believe it's all done to break you. And, and if I'm honest, I come out of jail in a very bad place. I, after that sentence. I come out well, of jail in a very I mean, bad place. It's psychological warfare, man. I mean, to, to tell you that your wife is imminently, you know, under threat of being attacked with acid and then just to shut your cell and be like, well, deal with that psychological torture for the next week until you're able to speak to her it's fucking crazy and i couldn't eat i couldn't eat in there so i had a t i had four tins of tuna a week that's all i ate because because the set because the food was run by muslims and then they bring my they open my door with my name on my on my food box it's like that's come oh. from the muslims you can get anything smuggled into a british jail so i thought i, I can't eat anything that's not tinned i'm not going to die in jail through some rat poison it's just not happening i'm not giving myself to them yeah so i, I then couldn't eat i lost i lost 30 pounds Wow. I come out in a terrible place. So at times I've been low. I've been. I, I wish I'd have done what I've done for the last two years. Now I've pushed myself into fitness, into health, right. and I, I wish I'd have been physically fit for the entire time of my activism because I'd have probably done a hell of a lot more um, great work because I think physically fit. But uh, yeah, and now I'm teetotal. I don't drink. At times I buried my head in the bottle. At times sure. I was in a bad place. I think I was trying to escape the reality of my life, and I say that in the sense of. Look, when I started my activism, I knew talking about Islam would bring threats to life. I knew that. Yeah, there's six Muslims were caught on the way to kill us with guns, bombs, and IEDs, suicide notes. Yeah, they got 30 years. When that happened, it's sort of like that was a shock. I was only 26 years old at the time, thinking there's now a fatwa. I guess in, I'm guessing against me. The police had told me I need to leave my hometown and never come back. They cannot protect me. When they give you a fatwa, they give me one from Al Shabab. When they give you a fatwa, it says. You cannot get a weapon to arm yourself, to protect yourself. Basically, just sit and wait. Yeah? But all those things probably played a part. And I guess I, at that time, I felt like I was walking around for terminal, terminal illness. I'm a father of three. And all the effects that it's had on me, had on them. So I guess I battled with myself. And I, at the time I, when I was drinking, I was probably trying to escape the reality of the situation I was in. Yeah. But then once I, once I accepted that situation, I guess it's very empowering.
I don't, I, I go where I want. I started wearing a bulletproof vest 10 years ago. Yeah? And then I thought, no, I'll go where I want. I walk where I want. People get a shock on their face. I go everywhere. So I walk in places full of Muslims. And it's like, what the hell? I was like, all right. Like, so, and, and, and I don't fear that ever now. I, I've accepted that. Right. I've also, but the best thing I've done is, um, is concentrate myself on, on, on fitness and the gym. It's like, it's like yeah. my therapy. So. Yeah, well, it certainly helps with mental health and given the stress that you've been under, uh, it's vi vitally important. Well, I, I'm curious, what what is it that drives you? Is it is it uh, are you attempting to save Britain? Is it patriotism? What drives me, and I had this difficult conversation many times with my ex-wife. I wholeheartedly know where we're going. Yeah? I know what's going to happen, and I have three children, beautiful children. I want them to grow up and have the same freedoms I had and my parents would have had, and. If someone's going to have to fight, I'll fight. I don't want my son to fight. I'll fight. And that's how I feel too. And it's and and the crazy thing is, if you look at our previous forefathers and, and previous generations, you had fourteen-year-olds pretending they were sixteen to run and die. Yeah, with to run and die, and they were doing that to hand down a safe and prosperous Britain to the next generation. We've now created such a selfish generation of men that. We're too, we don't even want to talk about it, yeah? And and most people, I looked at my friends differently when I started my, the movement of English Defence League because most of them went, I'm all right because they've got a nice house. They're living out of the ghetto, yeah? They've moved away from the Islamic community. I said, mate, at some point, when do you stop running? Because Luton, where I'm from, which has gone to now 45 mosques, no one in my generation has left. Everyone's gone north out of Luton. There's new towns been built, which are called Little Luton, which is where all the English people have gone. But you'll have to move again and move again and move again. When do you stop moving? When do we actually address this situation and say, hold on a minute. Like, it's, there's a thousand years of history, of Christian history in this country. We're not giving it up. Or we're not giving it away. And we're not hiding from it. And I think that, and I think that, I think that once you accept that or once you give I think that's why they want to crush me so much, because it sends a message that if, if I can do it, you can do it. So anyone who steps up, who tries to do it, and that's why the importance of alternative media, the importance of podcasts, the importance of getting people listening and talking away from the controlled media, away from the narrative that they're pushing is so important because you need people. I, I used to get a buzz of making people think I'd read, I read the comments under my work and think he's changed his mind. His eyes are awake. He now understands, yeah, which is what I saw my role as being, um, as trying to awaken people. And I've said that to my to my wife. I said it when my ex-wife. I said, like, this isn't about my children. Yeah, this is about an entire generation of children. Yeah? Mm -hmm. This is about, and if and if if we look to how previous generations thought, yeah, then if we had pride in our country, if we had pride now as a nation, none of this we wouldn't have tolerated none of this that we've allowed. Mm -hmm. None of it. But we're lost. We are lost. Totally lost. A void's been, t uh, there's a big void where we've lost belief, lost identity. It's being filled by Islam. People are converting to Islam. Islam's a very strong identity. It gives yes, them yeah. a belief system. There's some parts of it which are admirable as well. It's strong. It doesn't back down. It's not going to, and it's, and, it, and it's sweeping across Europe in a, a in an uncontrollable rate. I'm curious. Um, I'm curious yeah. what you think about Andrew Tate's conversion to Islam because it, it, you know, given he's gone through some of the same persecution that you have as of late, and the fact that he would convert to Islam, given what you just described it as, it's strong. Uh, do you think that's what why he gravitated towards it? So I'm friends with Andrew Tate before all of this. Andrew's from my town, so Andrew's from Luton. Um, 
I believe, I think, and I'm supposed to be having a sit-down podcast with him because he's gone to the other side and having a big, big discussion about this. I think it will be a very interesting discussion because we're friends. I still have a lot of respect for him. And I know what's happened to him. And I know how they've gone for him because of the influence he had. They don't want want a generation of strong men. They don't want young kids. They don't want young kids learning to fight and get in the gym and be healthy and be fit and eat the right foods. They don't want that. They want them broken, reliant on their antidepressants and controlled and not knowing and cutting their penises off. <laughs> That's what they want. But Andrew, um, I believe at that time he was cancelled, he was censored. I believe he's angry at who's done it and, and the control. It's not the Islamic community that's done it. Yeah? He was angry. I believe that the LGBTQ plus movement, the sexualization of children, the breakdown of the Christian church and what it represents, the weakness in the Pope, all of this plays a part in the fact that there's no strong opposition to it. Now, at this time, remember, I was deplatformed for seven years, since 2007, no, 2017. So there was no vocal voice against Islam. They took it away. I'm, I've been back for, what, four weeks? I've been trending every, literally every day in the UK, yeah? Because the public have wanted it and needed it. There's no one that was saying it, what needs to be said. Now, Andrew, when he converted, he was deplatformed for, I believe there's a mass, I believe Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Dubai, these countries spent billions pushing Islam. If you look at what, I looked in depth at what France has done, what Qatar has done in France to control the communities, the money they put in. Now, that used to be in funding madrasas and funding mosques. And like, for example, in my hometown of Luton, we have a, a shop in the town centre called Discover Islam. It's a funded shop charity yeah but their job as as the as the leader of that shop says is to bring islam into every home in Luton. so basically conversion centers who go out on the streets they find the weak they find the vulnerable and they bring them to islam yeah that's going on across the whole country and across the whole of europe now that used to be the best way of doing it now social media influences yeah of course nico germany if you go and look how many tiktokers are now holding up the quran i see some black woman, american woman the other day saying since the hamas conflict i picked up the quran i've started reading it it's beautiful like bullshit yeah how much money you got in your bank to do that you've been paid <laughs> to do that yeah so i think that andrew tate made comments in 2017 when i was locked up saying um tommy is a freedom fighter but i don't think he understands you can't win what he should have done is made as much money as he could and thought of himself so Andrew Tate was deplatformed. He travelled to Dubai. He spent four days with the Prince of Dubai, and on the fifth day, he converted. Um, Interesting. Well, Sneeko converted. Yeah, since Sneeko converted, literally being flown around to push the Islamic narrative. I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered on the on this issue. There's a lot of money floating about on that issue. Um, it and do you know what? Hundred million to Dubai is nothing. Of to course. gain the most influential men with youth. It's- well, look, look, look what they look what they paid for football players for the you know the That's Islamic I mean. so, many yeah. Islamic nations. The same with our uh, PGA golf has been acquired by uh, you know. Yeah, it's nothing. And, and to spread it, and, and I'm not saying so. Tate, I believe, become angry, and I believe a lot of the like what Tate's picking and what he's talked about are the strong aspects of Islam, and and men will follow that. Men follow strength. Yep. But you can't ignore the rest, which you can't ignore the rest. Yeah. And what he, so when he makes comments or he's making comments, I think you can't ignore the rest of this, the problems it brings. I understand for you it's beneficial. I understand for the family. They won't allow their families to be broke down like we have. All certain things like this are admirable and they're beneficial and, and they're strong principled, yeah? But you can't ignore the rest. It's not, you can't take the good bits without understanding the bad bits. So I'd love to sit down and talk with Andrew about his whole life because we're both from Luton. Andrew was a, and, and you know, just to put the record, Andrew was a, Andrew's from the roughest area there is of Luton, yeah? I mean, it's the... Luton's one of the most... Luton's voted the worst town in Britain every year, yeah? 
it's poverty, it's crime, it's gangs, it's violence. It's got all the problems with Islam, but it's got lots of other problems. And Andrew, um, Andrew, he's, become one he's, of he's from the worst part of the of the roughest area. It's <laughs> town. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's well, where he's from, and he's and he's, and he built a success. And and sometimes people say because they quote things he said. I said, look, it's. I said this to my son. I said, son, look, because my son looked, really looked up to Andrew. And, and it benefited him because he becomes so fit and healthy. Yeah? Yeah. But the way they twist it, they twist everything. And I think that it's not just about, they won't be happy with Andrew Tate until they've broke him, finished him and took every penny he's got. Which I they're going to struggle with, I think, anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think a, a sit down between you two would be uh, would be fireworks. I can't wait to to see it happen. And uh, I can tell that there's there's mutual respect there, so I, I hope it can be done in a in a somewhat polite fashion. But I, I think yeah, it that will, it will be. But he's very honest. No, I'm very honest, which is good. Exactly. Very, yeah. No. No one's no one's gonna shrink away from uh, from telling the truth. And I think I think it's very important that people understand, uh, you know, the financial money behind the scenes that influences the influencers, which then influence the rest of the population. And I don't, I don't think that story is really fully understood because it's a rel relatively new phenomenon. People don't watch TV anymore. It's really about like, what's, where's the best bang for your buck in terms of propagandizing the world? Well, it's to get the, the most popular man on earth, probably in Andrew Tate. Well, that's, that's a guy that I would definitely like to have in my pocket in, in pushing my narrative. So I think that'll be a, an interesting conversation. I think, I think it'd be safe in Dubai. I think when all this is over, he's safe now. Exactly. And he's, he's got an amazing base in the sense of loyalty yep. with the Islamic following. So, yep. No, I mean, he's I mean for, he's for his... he's a checkmate move for yeah. himself. For himself. Yes, yes. I, no, it makes perfect sense given the the persecution he's been under. I, I can like it, it's rational, absolutely. He's put his back against the wall. Right. What does he do? It. Do you know what I mean? What does he do? And I guess yeah, he's upset. He's upset them. So I yeah. guess I don't. Know. Although again, I'd love to see him. Like we've had banter back and forward. Even when he converted, he said, "Yeah, he goes, bro, get four wives, get a Lambo." <laughs> I said, "Mate, one's enough. One's enough." But um... <laughs> one wife or one Lambo? <laughs> yeah, one wife. Yeah. Um, but no, well, yeah, I, I'd love to. I, I hopefully he said the New Year. So we were meant to do it about two weeks ago. In the new year, so. Well, I, I will be looking forward to that, and you know, I, I know you've gone through hell, and it sounds to me as if you're doing it for the right reasons, and I, I hope that uh, your family, your community, uh, can rally around you and and keep you on the the this side of the penitentiary because it's it's quite clear to me that we are facing, and and you know, you earlier you were saying how you know you you wish you could have a constitution you wish you could have free speech look ours ours is very much in jeopardy i'll, I'll grant you it is much worse where you're at uh, but yeah yeah exactly where we are as you said we ought to be looking to to that sphere of the world to understand what our imminent future is and and i take it seriously and i hope my audience does too and i and i really respect and appreciate your courage in in speaking out uh despite the great personal consequences and, and price that you've had to pay uh, very few people have that uh, that strength of character. So I, I I wish you well in the future. And go ahead and tell my audience where they can follow and support you, man. You can follow me. I'm on Twitter, man. It's good to be back. I'm I'm so happy because I had it. no voice, so now I've got a voice. I can count the lies they continuously tell, which I've got take ma it's massive satisfaction. I've been smiling <laughs> for about four weeks. I'm back on Twitter. I'm on Rumble. Tommy Robinson official. I've got episode five of the Rape of Britain coming out soon. Um, I've done ten fabulous documentaries. And also, I'm going to grift. I don't care. It's Christmas in about three, four weeks. Do it. I've got kids. These are my books. This is Enemy, Enemy of the State, 
which is my life story up until 2015. It tells who I am, not who they say I am. So you can understand the, the person that I am. And this is uh, from 2015 up to last year. This is actually called Silenced. This went to number one four times, yeah, which must annoy my detractors on Amazon. <laughs> this went to number three in after five days. It's, it was going to number one. Amazon banned it. You can buy Hitler's book in 20 different languages. Tommy Robinson's book is banned. Yeah? So both of, these are, both of these are available on trsilenced.com. That's the website, trsilenced.com. I thank you in advance. Um, I, 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 will, I will link to TR Silenced in the, in the description so people can Thanks get it direct. Much. Since you're, you're, too, you're too hot for, for Amazon, whereas Hitler is not. What a fucking... It's, <laughs> no, it's mad. It's mad, bro. It's, you know, if you go on and write Tommy Robinson on Facebook, you get deleted. It's like, what have I done? I've been tried by no court. Yeah? I've been tried by no court. I've never been arrested on race, hate, anything like that. Right? So what, what have I actually done? What you're countering the facts or the work or the journalism I've done? You don't like it. But even, yeah. even the thing you were talking about earlier when I got CS gas last week. Yeah. What did I do? Yeah. What did I, do? I went to report. I was a journalist. Unbelievable, uh, man. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm very glad to see you back on Twitter, aka X. Uh, I, I thank goodness that there's at least one platform that seems to be allowing for dissidents to speak. I certainly need it. I'm currently suspended on YouTube uh, for the next couple of weeks because I got right. another strike because I had the QAnon shaman, the, the dude with the headdress that went into the Capitol on J6. I had him on. Yeah, yeah, and and I got a strike for that, so uh, I won't be able to put this episode out on YouTube, but it will be on Rumble and it'll be on all, all the audio podcatchers. So hopefully, hopefully people listen to this and take it seriously. I think that uh, it, it really is a, a window into our our imminent future. Uh, but thank you again for coming on, Tommy. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from, and where did it?